Being the leader of an organization can mean many different things. Sometimes leadership can seem glorious and the leader recognized, perhaps like a celebrity or father figure. But in other cases, being the leader is a matter of accepting significant personal risk. What do these extremes tell us about the meaning of leadership and being a leader today? My name is Tom Galvin, and these are my reflections on management. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time, and it stems from an experience I had in my European travels. Uh, In 2002, I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Estonia and visit the, um, the capital city of Tallinn, a gorgeous, gorgeous city. And in May, it was an absolutely wonderful, uh, perfect weather. It was uh, it was beautiful. There was a major event going on. It's known as the Euro- Eurovision Song Contest, which uh, Talon hosted that year. And uh, I had the opportunity to attend. And the country was, was on definitely put itself on display for that event. Um, it was, uh, it was really fantastic. But I also had, uh, took a little bit of time to, you know, get away from the center of uh, activity and go learn as much as I could about the nation. And, uh, one very, very chilling discovery I made was when I visited the Estonian National Museum, which was on a coast um, I don't know if it's still there, but it was on a coast coastal area um, away from the from the major city uh, in some large uh, mansion. They have you know the usual trappings of a national museum. They celebrate the culture. They talk about the history. They had one section that was related to the Estonian War of Independence of 1920, in which this uh, fledgling republic state that was created after World War One sought independence from uh, Soviet Russia. Uh, it was a fairly complex civil war. Okay. On one wall, they showed after independence, and, and Estonia had independence for some 15, 20 years, they, sh- they had one wall that showed all nine Estonian presidents during that time of independence. Each of them had a plaque uh, and it talked about who they were, where they came from, how long they were in the presidency, of course, and what happened to them afterwards. Every single one of them, even after, you know, some 15, 20 years after serving as presidency, was essentially sought out, hunted down, and murdered when the Soviets took over the country in the advent of World War II. So this wasn't a matter of cleaning house of the government, uh, the sitting government, this was this was a, a, a message, or it struck me as a message, in which just by virtue of being a leader, you are a symbol of a, re- a republic's independence and therefore um, a danger. I'm sta- staring at this wall. I must have stared there for good 10 minutes thinking about what what does this tell me about what it means to take a lead, you know take leadership the personal risk you know you could you could be in a position of such significant personal risk long after the fact that that I don't know that I necessarily see leaders in a lot of organizations necessarily taking and so I started thinking you know because of course you know with my military background my view of my general 
view of what leadership means and what it entails, what it asks of the individual is different than what would be seen, say, in the private sector or even other public sector organizations. Uh, certainly, the military has a very, much higher view in terms of personal risk associated with accepting positions of leadership, especially command. But it's not confined to the military. I mean, naval tradition has had this this statement for, you know, this uh, phrase forever. The captain goes down with the ship. Well, you know, that's that's the ultimate statement of uh, of personal risk. Is it not? It's it is a say that uh, if you are going to lead, you know, you're going to lead men and women um, on a ship and take it out into the water, then the welfare of the men and women on the ship is is absolutely paramount. And the success or failure of the captain is associated 100% with the success and failure of the ship. It's basically like if the ship breaks, it is the captain's fault. Even if it isn't, it's, it is the captain's fault, that sort of thing. Certainly in the past where political leaders were also more likely to be military leaders, you know, kings who led forces into battle, you saw that same thing. You know, leading, leading at the front was all about taking personal risks such that the, the ones who were led put their own lives on the line and they wouldn't do that necessarily if the leader didn't do that. Now we contrast that with, say, more modern times where the personal risk calculus is different, uh, to say the least. Well, let's, uh, let's think about even, even in war. And I'm, I'm, I know that this isn't an actual war experience, but it's a, it's a great symbolic, it's a great vignette. There was, uh, you know, World War One was a, a time where there was considerable, considerable loss of life. And there's, there was considerable questions about the degree of personal risk that was taken by the, uh, the, by the generals back in the line. You know, this, this whole lions led by donkeys narrative that, uh, the British, uh, it, it was, it stemmed from the, the British experience where you had perceptions that the, the generals were in the back safe and directing, directing things and, uh, the, the forces were at the front, um, exposed. There's a scene from a famous uh, television series called Blackadder Goes Forth where um, one general, General Haig, was depicted as overlooking a map of uh, the battle space. And in trying to plan the war, he just takes a shovel, piles a whole bunch of troops, uh, troop figurines into it, and just casually dumps it into the garbage can as if there's no there's no sense of connection with the sacrifice of the of the folks at the front. So now let's bring that kind of more towards present day contemporary times. What's uh, kind of strikes me is that uh, nowadays the philosophy of checks and balances uh, is very, very strong. So we don't really have leaders who are autonomous, the way perhaps that the uh, that they were previously. When we think about uh, you know going to episode fifty three of the main podcast where we watched the film Modern Times, they were depicting the, the the manager as the the single leader, the the big leader who uh, sat in an office and and uh, gave directions and what that what have you, and basically did things independently. 
Um, I tried to make the point that nowadays uh, with um, everybody having a boss and with the significant competitive pressures on organizations that those sorts of leaders, uh, that sort of leadership form doesn't necessarily seem to hold so much. As a matter of fact, uh, in many ways, when we think about how you have rotating leaderships, I mean, leaders who come and go at, uh, you know, within a matter of just a few years, it's hard to see the position of being the leader as the same. I mean, it's it, it, it strikes in some ways as uh, being like a custodian or a steward, answerable to an external body, um, as though, you know, leadership just wasn't an embedded part of the individual's identity. There's also kind of the aspect of the the leader's performance versus the organization's performance. Yes, the the leaders will certainly take the fall when an organization fails. Um, but in some instances, you were hearing stories about leaders being offered some rather massive severance packages or or other things. I mean, the um, that it, it's. It, it, it gives the impression, and it certainly has been criticized as sort of rewarding failure. And so the individual, you know, the the personal risk again, the calculus is a bit different. It's it's definitely different. So what is this calculus? What I've tried to do is think about how leaders are judged, how leaders assume the leadership role, and the different ways in which their personal risk and organizational performance are connected. And so I kind of I kind of saw this emerge as a thinking across my experiences with different leaders in different situations as somewhat of a spectrum in which ranging from the leaders risks or actions and personal risks being very directly measured to somewhat of more of an emotional reaction to the leader's actions. Let me just kind of present it this way. On the rational side, you have what you might call the competence narrative. And this is where the leader's actions are judged as rationally, entirely rationally. Uh, and especially if the leader makes a mistake, then the personal risk assumed in the mistake is is directly correlated to the nature of the mistake. So you can think about, say, if the leadership is in a custodial, more of a custodial role, gets uh, put into a leadership position for a couple of years um, and makes a couple of mistakes, then the performance of the leader is judged accordingly and that's it. You know, leader moves uh, moves on if those mistakes were bad enough, then the leader isn't going to get go much further in their career. But a leader who doesn't make mistakes or who basically um, performs well in a rational sense is duly rewarded. So competence and incompetence is sort of, you know, that's that's sort of like one one way in which the leader is judged. Then there's sort of like the coaching change. Uh, this is this is uh, where uh, it's perhaps a little bit less about the leader's personal performance being judged, so much as the leader being judged based on the organization's performance. Now, I call it a coaching change because uh, this this idea comes from sports, 
but I have also seen it in other organizations. But it's very pronounced in sports. You can imagine a football team where the the team has certain expectations. Like perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's one of those that uh, qualifies for European competitions on an annual basis. Is uh, has some billion dollar marketing empire and all that sort of thing. You know, it, Manchester United, a, a Barcelona, whatever. When they um, when when they have a a uh, what I might consider to be a mildly bad spell, then it turns into a national crisis, that sort of thing. Um, in those particular cases where a team is underperforming, there's usually a lot of blame to be passed around for, you know, among coaching staff, among players who are not executing, among, you know, the general managership for making mistakes. I don't know. It's, there's a, you know, it's always a very, very uh, complicated and uh, difficult situation when a team is on a losing streak. But who's who gets under the greatest spotlight and who winds up often being fired first? Well, it's usually the coach or, you know, in baseball, it's called the manager. You know, it is basically the one in charge is the one who takes the fall first. And the presumption is that by accepting all of the personal risk, of the organization's performance. The coach is scapegoated, sent off, and the organization will now have an opportunity because of the disruption will begin fixing itself. A lot of times that works. Uh, I mean, it's certainly in American um, sports leagues, a coaching change often uh, is followed by a sudden uh, renewal of energy by the team who suddenly start playing a little bit better than they have, at least in the short term until a certain amount of reality sets in and whatnot. But again, you know, this is, this is, uh, it's still a fairly rational assessment to connect the personal risk of the leader from the, the organization's performance. And then we start getting into things that are a little bit more emotional. And, um, and, and this is uh, the, the kind of the next step on the, on the spectrum is when, when the leader starts distancing himself or herself from the organization and preserves the personal identity a little bit more. And uh, this is sort of, um, I don't really have a name for this, but this is where the the connection, where the leader is putting themselves first and basically having the organization assume all of their own risk. And that's... um. It's emotional because you kind of see this as, in, in some ways, as uh, like what in, in an earlier episode of the season I was sort of uh, alluding to in the discussion about the face of the franchise, where the risk calculus becomes trying to essentially avoid risk, preserve one's self identity, pass all the risk on to the organization, and such that if one were to be severed from the leadership position one would assume or you know, there's there's a calculus that says that it's okay to offer significant severance packages or you know basically a you know a balloon payment of some kind so that the the leader's integrity or leader's identity is in some way preserved in those particular cases the you know even the whole concept of being a custodian or a steward uh, falls into kind of question because What's the leader doing in terms of, you know, what's the connection between the leader's performance and the organization's performance? It becomes really, really loose. Now, at the far end 
of the spectrum is one where I think uh, falls in line with the Estonian president story from the beginning of this episode. And that's where the leader is just simply repudiated by virtue of being the leader of a particular organization. This is kind of like when you consider in a competitive sense that the leader of the opposing organization is somewhat of of an enemy. Not a competitor in a rational sense, but literally a enemy who is hated, uh, strung out in effigy, whatever. We kind of see this in sort of uh, the political spectrum in a way where opposing parties under conditions in which there's little room for compromise and little interest in cultivating relationships with the other side, simply repudiates the leader or repudiates the other organization, and the leader just so happens to be the su- the source or the lightning rod. So in these particular cases, uh, there's that uh, the the leader assumes virtually all personal risk of being reviled when they take the leadership position. Now, it's okay if the organization is has a very strong identity and can sort of withstand the fact that there's, there's a competitor that hates the leader's guts. But of course, this can turn really, really unhealthy, as, as the Estonian president situation showed, that hatred can lead to um, even drastic action against the leader just by virtue of the leader as symbol. So again, that's sort of the far emotional side of this spectrum. So what I kind of look at with this is that there's a there's a whole spectrum of ways in which the leader and the connection with the organization is 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 viewed or judged differently. And what I think has happened, especially in the modern case in which leaders are perhaps a little bit more the face of the franchise as said before, the personal risk calculus moves away from the rational unless it is a case of crisis or a case of underperformance in which the leader winds up becoming blamed. I think what this uh, this sort of raises is the question of, okay, so what do we really want leadership to even mean in terms of the degree to which a leader is willing or expected to take personal risk and associate one's own performance with that of the organization? Because more is not necessarily better in this particular case. Is it really fair, for example, to have a leader who has demonstrated successful leadership in pre- previous organizations to come into an organization that is already failing and and put all of the risk on the leader's back? I say that if the leader if the organization doesn't turn around, then the leader is branded as a failure. I'm not so sure that's what we're really after. What I believe we are after is uh, two things. One is that there's an appropriate level of personal risk that the leader is that the leader undertakes associated with the leadership position. And that at the same time we need to think about the next generations of up forthcoming leaders because leadership of course is treated as quite a virtue, isn't it? It's something that everybody strives to be. We have to make sure that people understand and learn that being a leader assumes personal risk. Because I think that in the end, if we continue to foster environments where personal risk is not assumed by leaders, then we're not going to have very strong organizations. 
And that's all for now. The views expressed are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Army War College, the United States Army, or the Department of Defense. Thank you for listening and have a great day.